Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our new guest host, Mai. Mai, how are you doing today? Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. And she comes to us with a bit of a background in, in marketing and some other things that we'll get into in terms of uh, life's uh, challenges. Uh, but I, I'd love if you in, did a little bit of an introduction, introduce what you're doing now, and then we'll get back to uh, what you were like as a kid. So what are you up to these days, Mai? Um, so I operate a foundation that I that I started, that, that I co-founded, and I'm also a freelance in, um, in media, media strategy. So I'm working with advertising agency. And that's my, essentially, that's my whole career working in ad agency. um, I've been doing this for like 20 years. (laughs) Sounds good. So there's a long history to that. And I love if we kind of rewound and said, well, what was my like as a kid? What are some early childhood memories, uh, fond memories, hopefully? What were you like as a kid? Um, I think I I was born in Montreal and I, I think I was in a beat kid. I I was very competitive. So my my mom put me in a swim team when I was young. And I think I really enjoyed that. So I I did that. And I did judo at the same time. Um, And I just wanted to win all the time. So I remember that is I'm a very competitive kid when I was younger. And it's still it's still the same thing when I'm when I'm a middle-aged lady, I'm still competitive in some stuff. Uh, board games, anything, I really get into it. Um, and and I think I really had a good childhood. So I was born here in Montreal, but I'm Vietnamese. And my parents came here uh, a year before I was born. So I was raised in a very typical immigrant way where my parents told me that education is super important. And my father was a pharmacist in, in Vietnam. So he okay. wanted me to be a pharmacist when I, when I was growing up. And my mom was, was an English teacher back in Vietnam, and she didn't want to pursue that in, um, in Canada. But my, my parents both really wanted me and my brother to go in health science or um, engineering, but more for me for, for, um, to become a pharmacist. Hmm. And at one point, I remember my, my father said, um, if you're going to go to university in pharmacy, I'll give you a car. <laughs> I never got a car. <laughs> so yeah, I did not, I did not go in health science. Um, that was kind of, I think that was kind of a disappointment to my parents because they really wanted to ensure that we have a secure job and they knew that um being an immigrant you want your kids to have to have that financial security right and i think they were worried that i was going to something completely different than what they had envisioned right yeah typical uh, immigrant upbringing like I, i've heard of like the deal or no deal deal is like doctor engineer accountant lawyer yeah. <laughs> were, were the types of things <laughs> So that was an expectation. And what was your was your brother older or younger? And and did he he's, end up? Uh, he's older. He's okay. older. So he's a a year older than me. Um, and did he end up paving yeah. the way for health sciences and engineering or something? No. Or, well, no? well no, okay. he is an engineer. So okay. 
he, he did do the right thing, uh, <laughs> but but I I did not. I had no interest. I wasn't good in science. I really I was good in math, but besides that, I I did not enjoy chemistry. I'm not good in biology, uh, physics. I still don't understand it. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was pointless for me to go in the health science. But what I, I discovered when I was, I think it was in second grade or third grade, hmm. I was really good in presentation in front of the class. Okay. And when I, when I, when I knew that I was good because kids were were telling their story, their presentation a certain way. And I would, I was able young enough to pick on, Oh, this is really good. He did a joke here. She over-prepared. She's just reading her, her text. <laughs> and I, I had this like, Oh, I'm going to find a way to make my presentation better. And at, at that point, I'm like, Oh wow. Communicate communication is, is something that I'm good at. Soft skill, soft skills is something that I'm good at. But well, my parents didn't say anything about that. They, or, or, or even the um, academic, they they don't prone you to be good in soft skills or communication. It's more right. uh, sciencey stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'd love if you talk a little bit about that journey. Journey because obviously you uh, realized that at a young age, uh, but. The expectations are a little bit different. <laughs> so, how does one navigate from like health science uh, uh, doctor? Because your your brother went the engineering, so at least he was taken care of. So that's kind of why you were pointed down the the health sciences, yeah. also pharmacist path with a little bit of a bribe. Yeah. Bribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what was that conversation uh, like? Uh, I, I guess growing up, or when did it actually start to happen? Um, what was it more? Still in grade school, high school, or how, how did that transition um, in, into, into I, the business side work? I think it was in high school when okay. when I was getting better in presentation. And, and my mom, my mom is a tiger mom, so she always saw <laughs> my report card. And then she would see where I would excel. And it was always in oral presentation and yeah. not so much in, in science. And so she was open enough to 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 know that science was probably not going to be my path okay and and she told my dad she said she's really good at oral presentation i don't know what's gonna what type of career she's gonna get but we know it can be science because mm. look at her look at her report card and and i studied like it's not as if i didn't care about my my grades i did study in a lot but it did not it it does not compute right. and so i think my mom in around i don't know 15 16 she kind of knew that i was going to go into something else and and she was she, she was a secretary um at the government and she would she would talk to other people and she said well i don't know maybe maybe journalist is something that my hmm. could do so she asked a bunch of people, uh, friends of colleagues, and do you know anybody that could talk to my? And at a certain point, I sh I got to talk to somebody um, that I did not know, a perfect stranger. She's a lady in like her 40s. I was 16, 17. Okay. And I met her and she told me what it is to be a journalist and how, how the media works or, or how 
how she studied communication when she was uh, when when she was at university. So that was my first first step towards uh, communication and marketing. But that was really my mom that that had um, that had the decency, and she was and she was very open to it. You know, she did not force me into something that she knew that I wasn't going to be happy, and I wasn't right. good at it either. And she saw that there was a potential somewhere else. And she, so she was the one, honestly, that paved the way to me. So she was the one that was hustling to find any type of contacts that, that those people can mentor me and get me in another field that she didn't know anything about. Sounds good. And were there many other conversations uh, with different people in different walks of life? Or is it really just that one that kind of catalyzed all oh, like, maybe your mom was thinking about like different people, oh, maybe Mike could try this or this is it? Were there uh, many other conversations? I think it was only that lady oh, wow. okay. that made me realize, oh, there's something else than being a doctor or a pharmacist or, or things that my family only knew. Um, and yeah, I think that was the first milestone for me is realizing that actually there's something else out there. But but at the same time, my mom would say, you know, there's no Asian in the media. There's no <laughs> right. Asian in communication. How are you going to pave your way through it? But again, I think it's because because I was competitive as a kid and I'm, I'm still am. So I, I told my mom, don't worry about it. I'll. I'll find a way and I'll be successful. I find my own way and people will see it. Sounds good. So walk us through a little bit about that journey. So you, you enrolled uh, in, in university. Did you pick specific like media advertising type, type programs or more on the journalism side? Or what was the decision to kind of pick that path? I, I studied in human resources and marketing because okay. I found out that uh, journalism was a lot of writing and I wasn't that good in writing, but what I really like was talking to people and I love like interactions and, um, human psychology. So that's something that was very interesting to me, whether you're studying in human resources and, and then you have to deal with employees problem and uh, see through their eyes, what they're going through, but see also as your company, what they're trying to do in terms of values and trying to um, and trying to, to to be with the employees, and, and there's the other thing that is marketing, where you, you're trying to sell something, you're trying to sell a product to an audience that may know you, may not know you, and so how you grab that attention. So, so that to me was very appealing. So I, I studied, I did a, a BCom in marketing and human resources. That's awesome. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about kind of that uh, process to think about, like, I wasn't good at writing and these other areas. Was that like over like an evening, a weekend or over months or years? Or what was I that process? Was like over years. I just found out that I'm not good at writing. I'm really good at speaking, <laughs> but I'm not a great writer. And as a journalist, you have to write a lot and you have to write yeah. fast also. And I knew that I, I had, tr I think I've had trouble, not trouble, but I'm not a good writer as some of my friends would be i have friends that are journalists and they could pick up on something and they would write and they would, <laughs> they would have no mistakes and i am still am i'm not that's not something that's not one of my strengths so when i was a kid i think i found out 
in in university. Uh, no, no, before university. Um, late in high school, I found that oh wow, if you have really have to be on top of the game in terms of writing. I, I I like communication, but I'm not that good in writing to become a journalist. Sounds good. And I'd love if you walked us through like the the university experience and and was the human resources and marketing uh, that aspect of it was it everything that you had hoped and imagined it would be, or did you find different things and and, and new things about yourself uh, along the way? Um, I think university the the fact that I was underrepresented, I kind mm. of knew that that was going to happen, um, and I did not know that. I would, it would become so apparent to me that I was one of the few, one of the, one of the few, uh, Asians in class. And, um, in terms of school stuff, I think I, I did very fine. So I did have friends. I did, I was involved in a couple of committees. Um, but I always felt like a bit off and I didn't understand why, and I think one of the thing is since I was a kid from from an immigrant and that was like in the that was 20 years ago. So I was going to university in BCom in Montreal and the kids that were going there were all coming from fancy family where mm. they would tell me, "Oh, I'm we're uh what did you have where where did you guys go for summer vacations? And they and they were not bad, but it's like it's not it's not the same upbringing, you know. They're oh hotels five stars, and right. we went to a club med, and and that's something that I I don't know. Like I know right. some things like book stuff, or I, I like have my my family gathering, but I was not coming from like a rich neighborhood, and so mm -hmm. going to university being very white and having those kids that were, that had access to everything, you know, like their parents were lawyers, bankers. And, and I'm not saying that my parents didn't have anything, but it's, we were much poorer than what they had. Um, and so for me, that was very apparent that I, couldn't rely on the connections from my parents because my parents did not have any connections in that field. And my mom told me about that from the get go. She's not going to be, she's not going to be able to help me once I get to that, to university and trying to find a job and whatnot, because they don't have that contact, but my right. friends did. So that's something that was very apparent to me that I, that it's going to be, as my mom said, it's going to be more difficult for me right. to pave my way in. And, and what did you do with that information? My, my, my guess is that you hustled a lot and started making those own, your own connections and things like that. Yes. Is, is that what happened yes. or were there other things? Yeah. Can you walk us yeah, through a little I bit about what, what you did? Yeah. Well, I think after, after school, um, I went through, I went to travel with, a friend of mine. And when, then when I came back, I, I really wanted to work in an ad agency. So what I did was I kept calling the VP 
the VP asking, and I had a connection, but, but that connection told me just send the CV, the resume, and then they're going to send it to human resources because that's the right way. That's the right process to do. You cannot talk to a random VP. You have to go through the proper route. And I, I told that person, well, I, if I'm going to go through that proper route, I'm going to be number 522A. Right. So I need to talk to the guy. That's going to be the person that's going to be able to hire me and to say yes or no. And then, mind you, I was like 22. I had nothing to lose. So I kept calling the VP every day for weeks and at a certain leaving messages. Hi, my name is Ma. You don't know me. I'd like to be an assistant in your team. I, I, I think I left like 30 messages and he wow. didn't call me back. And of course he didn't call me back. I was nothing. And at a certain point, he picked up the phone and I said, oh, hi, I did not know that you you were going to pick up your phone. And he said, yes, what do you want? And I said, <laughs> listen, I just want to have an interview with you. It's going to take 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you want. And he said, okay, come and see me tomorrow. You have 10 minutes before lunch. And that's mm. that was that 10 minute that I had to seal the deal and to like pitch in 10 minutes. It was more than 10 minutes. Um, but then I got the job. And I think from that moment, it spiraled to um, more connections and having a bigger network. But I wasn't afraid, uh, to be honest with you, from being ridiculous, you know, or people <laughs> finding me, oh my God, she is so intense. It did not bother me at all. I, I knew what I had to do in order to get through. And so I, I did what I had to do. That's awesome. And was that the one and only person that you called or did you leave uh, messages for like, uh, I don't know, every single uh, VP at no, every single that was the only, <laughs> that was wow, the only okay. agency that was, uh, it was really that one where I wanted to go in and I didn't care how, how long the hours going to be or my pay. I just really, I just needed to have a first job, somebody that like a, a first real job. And it was like the, the top agency at the time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that I I did it. And when I think about it, I, I, I find that it's, it's very intense for a 20 year old <laughs> just calling you randomly, uh, leaving you 30 messages. But I, I get that if I would see it and I have somebody would call me, I would say, wow, that person is really motivated to have that job. She would do... Right she's ready she's she's eager and she's ready she's hungry and so i think honestly i think that's why they hired me they saw that i i was hungry for the job and they knew that i was going to work hard for it that's awesome and, and maybe we'll do a deep dive episode into like the pitch and how you prepared and everything and how you sold yourself and and well obviously you are the uh, ad and marketing person for yourself, <laughs> but maybe we'll, yeah. we'll go through that. But I'd love if you uh, shared a little bit more, okay, now that you work so hard and, and hustle to get this job, how was that career uh, like? And then obviously you had some, some challenges al along the way a little bit later on, but uh, if you can walk us through like the, the early parts of your career. Yeah, I, um, I was an assistant 
um, for uh, I was a media strategist and I didn't know anything about media. So you have to work a lot. It's a lot of hours too. And had a lot of friends in the advertising agency and teams. And then somebody said, and, and I wanted to have a promotion. So I, I was an assistant for two years. And after a year, I really wanted to have a promotion to be uh, a strategist and not the assistant. And I told my boss and I, I told him, oh, I'm working so hard. And, and how come I'm not having a, a promotion yet? It's been a year. And, and he said two things to me that really resonated. He said, one, uh, don't be a grasshopper. When you're, when you're going to do that job, we're going to give you that title. One. Two, nobody cares if you're working a lot. And that, it dawned on me. I'm like, what do you mean nobody cares that I'm working a lot? And he said, everybody, look around you. Everybody's working a lot. So you have to show the management that you're better or what's your forecast? What do you want to accomplish? But just saying, I'm working a lot. Everybody's working a lot. That's not something that maybe you're working a lot because you're not very organized. Maybe you're working a lot because you don't get things done fast enough. So working a lot, it's not something that you should, that you should celebrate or that you should say it's, it should be, what did I accomplish? What, what is my objective? What's my projection? And did I meet those objectives? And if I didn't meet them, what are the things that I need to do in order to get them? And so that conversation very early on in my career really helped me to take the next step and to show the management that if they were not going to give me the promotion because X, Y, and Z, then they would lose um, an employee and somebody great and the, somebody that could do X, Y, and Z. Sounds good. So you basically, again, pitch yourself again for, for the, yeah. for the promotion and, uh, moved up the, to, to, to the next yeah. level. Um, yes. and then that's kind of circle what year, uh, you started yeah. stabilizing in the family. And I'd love if you got into obviously the, the challenge, the yeah. challenge in your life, the, the, the cancer diagnosis, if you can talk yeah. a little bit about uh, that process would be awesome. And so I was, I was close. So I had a kid. Um, she was three years old, um, and I was married at that time. And my my boss, the president, said, "Well, I think you have everything that I, I think you have everything to become the next VP of the agency." Mm. And I was thirty two, and that was that's really I didn't want to become the president. I really wanted to become a VP, right. um, and I was just so happy. And and I was pregnant also. Um, of my second child. So my second child was, um, I was pregnant 15 weeks. So it's about a, a little bit more than three months. Um, so I okay. just, and I had a flu that I couldn't get rid of. So I went to the, to the doctor and the, um, the, I did a routine blood test just to see if the baby was okay. And I found out that I had blood cancer. I had leukemia wow. and I found out when I found that in the maternity ward. So it was really my gynecologist that kind of knew that something wasn't right with my blood. And I was, I was being told by the hematologist and the oncologist in the maternity, in the maternity ward, when other women were 
giving birth while I was giving my death sentence. And I had to go through, I had to terminate the pregnancy um, in order to survive. So from that morning when I left home saying bye to my daughter, to my three-year-old daughter, I had no idea how life would change in a split of a second. So, wow. And if, if you're open to, to sharing a little bit more about like how you, how you dealt with that, because obviously in the morning, it's like, bye, honey, we'll see you later. And then, oh my yeah. goodness, this, as you, so you it was, have, it you was put it, like kind of a death sentence. It, it is a death sentence. And then it's something that you don't see also when you're at, when you're healthy, when you're, when everything is going well in your career, you're like, oh, you're only 32. So you don't expect those kind of death sentence like from a second you're okay and then, then suddenly you're not you don't have your baby anymore and then you're 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 about to die and you diagnose with cancer and so from the moment that i got my diagnosis i couldn't go home so mm-hmm. the monday i got my diagnosis the tuesday they were they were preparing me to cease uh the pregnancy for the abortion on wednesday i had the abortion on thursday i didn't have anything and on friday i started chemotherapy in isolation so in isolation, meaning that I was in a hospital room by myself, I could not leave. People could wow. not come in, only doctors and an adult wearing a mask as if COVID, as if somebody had COVID. Um, and I couldn't see my daughter for, a, I think it was two months, six weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and. And I did not know at that point, honestly, if I was going to make it or not. That's that's very intense, and and, and I'd love if you can share it. Well, obviously, it's got a, a bit more of a happier ending <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, but kind of the the whole uh, a little bit of the struggle, and then more was there like a turning point that kind of said, you know what, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this. Is there a point? Yeah, like that? and I and I think it's again, I think my parents since they are the immigrants, they have such a resilient way to face adversity. I think they somehow in their education, they transferred that to me. And so um, I saw that while the cards are being dealt, there's nothing that I can do at this point. So just have to accept it some way. And I, I, I did after a while. Um, and so I went to being sick having that diagnosis to being in remission and that remission lasted only 10 months because i relapsed so cancer came back um and that time that it means that chemotherapy doesn't work and my doctor told me that i needed to have a bone marrow or transplant and i didn't know anything about transplant at that time and i was in my i was 33 34 and they said, well, we need to look at your brother is if your brother is compatible with you, um, because it needs to come from the same, this approximately the same um, DNA. And so since your brother is Vietnamese also, and he's from the same family, we're going to test him first, but he was not compatible with me. And so they had to look in the worldwide bank of donors. There was 25 million at that time. And nobody matched me. And I, and I was really upset. And I told, how come nobody's matching me? Do I have a 
special DNA or something. And they said, there's a lack of diversity. And so mm. there's more white donors. And since you're a Vietnamese, you need to have a Vietnamese donor. And so unfortunately, there's no one for you because there's not enough ethnic donors out there. And I couldn't believe that because of the color of my skin, um, I wouldn't have a fair chance right. as other uh, Caucasian patients. And that for me was, was honestly so difficult. That was more difficult than the first time that they told me that I had to go through the abortion and told me that I had cancer. The second time that they told me that I relapsed and I couldn't find a donor because I'm Vietnamese. Wow. It's, it's enraging. It's so sad. It's like, you're, you're really, you just cannot believe and you cannot grasp that, that, that is happening. That's again, another, another difficult situation. And, and it's quite interesting that that one is even more difficult. So obviously, again, we have a little bit more of a happy ending where, uh, you decide to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> so walk us through a little bit about the, 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 the next step of it. So I decided that my career and what I do as a living would help me. And, and all those contacts that I had in like 15 years, 20 years was going to help me to find a donor. And so we launched a campaign while I was still in isolation at the hospital. And the campaign was called Save My Duong to help me find a compatible donors. The media was really interested. I had billboards um, all across Canada. That was like 18, uh, in 2014. And that did not give me a, a, um, a matching donor, but that gave five other patients a donor. And I had, I was lucky enough to have an umbilical cord blood from a mother from the States that matched me. And then later on, um, in my, I went, when I was infused with that cord blood, um, I told myself, wow, I just, I just can't go back in the ad world and just do what I did. And I, I want to do something more. And so I, I co-started, co-founded Swab the World Foundation, which is essentially a foundation where we want to increase the diversity of donors because people of color and even young people, they don't know anything about stem cell donation. So there's so right. much that we can do. Um, and we use, I use a contact in the ad world um, and in the media world to help me propel this story. And, and that's that's amazing. And obviously, it, it's still going on. There's much more growth and, and awareness that that's needed. And, and I'd love if, uh, uh, well, we can follow you along in your journey, obviously. Um, but if you could uh, share a little bit of what you're up to now. So obviously, you run this foundation, you're freelancing and marketing. And uh, if you can share a little bit of maybe some swike, the stuff I wish I knew earlier, to young Mai in various times of her life. So there might be the younger stages where uh, I don't know, you had to discuss with mom and dad about not being a pharmacist <laughs> or maybe the later ones, like the first or second uh, diagnoses, uh, maybe a couple of those uh, pieces of swike. But if you could share um, some of that advice to your younger self, what would you share? I think I would tell my younger self to not to, not to be shy and not to overthink things that others 
might think of you. I think we often, or I often told myself, oh, don't do that. What are the others going to think? Oh, they're not doing that. Why should I do that? And so I think we should, I would tell myself, don't fear too much. Just do it. We often are way too much in our heads, just overthinking, over analyzing everything. And then we're not able to push forward. And I would tell my younger self not to worry so much about the other outcome and just go with your gut and just, and just actually do it. Right. That That's awesome. And, and for me, what comes to mind is, and, and uh, it's very prevalent in, in, in the Asian culture, but I'm sure in a lot of others, like the concept of a of, of face, right? Doing as you're supposed to be doing yeah. and uh, not uh, sticking out. But uh, I, what I heard in your story is that, well, you, you are you, right? And you also had uh, the uh, benefit of, of your mom who realized, you know what, she's not going to do so well in science. So even if we want her to be, that that's probably uh, not going to be a great path. So she had the foresight to, to kind of find... Uh, some people to kind of help you out, even though she wasn't necessarily able to help you in that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's doing and, and really being you, finding what makes you uh, unique, what makes you uh, potentially better than other people and, and latching on that. And that fear, you might feel it, which which is fine, but do it anyway. Uh, I think that that's what I took a little bit about that. Are there any other tips or, or um suggestions that you have for maybe uh kind of like the, the diagnoses that you had like getting through those what what are some uh some advice that you have for those ones um it it, it all boils to the, the the same thing of of doing i think when i got my diagnosis um it's like there's no words how you, you that you feel when you have that kind of diagnosis but then again it's it's a lot of resilience when you see well they gave me lemon. What can I do? So you can sit and, and, and just think about that all the time. Or you could try to close that. That, that will happen again. I, I mean, fear and that sadness and that anxiety will always come in a cycle in my life. And that I know that I'm going to have to deal with. But I think at a certain point, you have, you have to say, all right, I do have cancer. Is it going to tell me what what I I what I really am, what I really can do in my life? And that and I think you you're trying to move, you're trying to talk to 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 move on, but there's nothing that you could do. There's nothing that you honestly can change. You cannot not have cancer right away. It mm-hmm. might take more time, but you have to again, you have to take your time, but you have to get up and walk because you yeah. can't just be on the floor forever. You can be on the floor for a while. That's, that's okay. But at a certain point, I, I remember in, in my head that I had that voice that said, okay, get up. It's, it's time to get up now. Just, just get up and get up and take one step at a time, but you have to get up at a, at a certain point. Sounds good. And what comes to mind is, is a bunch of quotes. You, you had the reference to uh, get, getting handed lemons. So that's obviously when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So it seems like that, that you made a, a lot of lemonade at, uh, along the way. Uh, another quote comes to mind is, uh, for there is nothing good or bad, 
and thinking makes it so, right? So you took your reality and just made it, well, I, I choose to turn this into something positive because you ended up saving five people and multiple uh, people mm -hmm. afterwards with, with the efforts that you had. And uh, final quote was, uh, I think it's from Byron Katie, where she says something to the effect of, uh, you can argue with reality, and you'll only lose 100% of the time, right? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's the acceptance of like, you know, I have I have cancer, like I can't change it, at least at the moment, but I can do something to move forward to potentially go into remission later on. So it's it's the uh, action uh, of doing something and moving forward is is, is something that, that's important for folks to think about instead of the dwelling and the wallowing yeah. and all that sort of stuff that doesn't necessarily help. So I think that's a lot of great guidance. And as, as we close things off, we'll hopefully have you back for, for another episode. But uh, where can folks connect with you, find out more about you, and what are some future aspirations that we can look forward to hearing from you? Um, um, future aspiration is, is really with Suave the World. So we're a young charity. We're only four years old, but we're doing so much. Um, yeah, so I, I would say just follow Instagram and LinkedIn, but mostly Instagram. Our, our account as well of the world. Um, I'm we we have a great ambassadors, university students. We give conferences, and I, I think I just want to see more of it. And once we do more conferences um, in all types of university or community uh, or or uh, community um, organization, I think the word will spread out, and I I honestly think that we're gonna help more each other to have each other's back when there's cancer and we we know that we're going to have a potential match that's awesome and we'll obviously put all of the links uh, in, in the show notes and uh again thanks so much mai for for sharing your story and uh yeah hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode to do a deep dive in some of these other topics so thanks for joining us mai thank you Luki. take care take care thanks for joining us on the swike stuff i wish i knew earlier the podcast if you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at LukiDanu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.